Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Okay, good morning and welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. I am thrilled uh, here this morning on Monday to have with me uh, Dr. Bram Desmet. Um, hey, Bram, how's it going? Excellent. Good morning, Richard. Great. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. I know you're in uh, Belgium. I'm here in Arizona, but uh, the, the the world of the the world doesn't sleep. So uh, uh, we just kind of get going here. A great way to kick off the week and talk all things supply chain. So without much further ado, um, I have been just you know itching to to to, to chat with you. Uh, not only because uh, you've got you know such a great background, uh, really interesting insights uh, from your first book, but you're also obviously launching a, a new book that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I've pre-ordered it, so I haven't. I don't think anyone's seen it, so you'll have to give us a little preview of what that is to come. But I'd love to start, like I do with most episodes, um, just having an introduction about yourself and and you know kind of who you are and where you came from. And probably the single biggest question to start with is how you even got into supply chain, especially from mathematics. Yeah. It's a good question. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I graduated in, indeed as a master in mathematics in '98. '98 was close to the year 2000, so the, the market was screaming for IT people, and they said, "Hey, Brown, computers work with zero and one, so you'll make an excellent IT guy." <laughs> so I actually started my career in IT, and um, I got I got out of, after five years because for me IT was was interesting as a means to an end, but not not as a goal in itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I was pursuing a, 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 an executive MBA program at the time at the Vlerik mm-hmm. Business School, where I'm currently teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, supply chain was interesting in the sense that it's uh, some aspects are quite quantitative, like statistical forecasting. I did a PhD in inventory modeling. That's very quantitative stuff. It's also at a crossroads. So uh, take a process like SNOP. It's like between sales, operations, finance, uh, product management, marketing, which was fitting well with the MBA program I was doing. And uh, in the end, if you want to move something in a supply chain, sooner or later you you hit IT system. So I, I wasn't born as a supply chain person, but the fact that it combined some of the elements I had gathered so far made made it into uh, into, into what at that time uh, seemed a logical choice. And and I had great fun um, starting as a supply chain consultant. Uh, I did a PhD in multi echelon inventory optimization based on one of the consulting projects I did. That brought me as an adjunct professor to the Vlerik Business School. And around 2009, I became responsible for an activity uh, called Solventure, which was then still part of a bigger consulting group. And, and Solventure is focused on implementing sales and operations planning, but really in a combination of process people tools and the analytics. And uh, I did a management buyout of Solventure 2016. And uh, yeah, after so so the the PhD brought me also to the Vlerik Business School, where I'm a adjunct professor. And then, let's say, after 20 years in the field and being part of my time academic, I thought it's it's really time to like uh, start start capturing uh, what are the lessons learned from my side when it comes to supply chain. So that led to the first book, uh, Supply Chain Strategy and Financial Metrics, and last summer. 
uh, I decided to yeah, not just update the book, but really, let's say, come with new insights based on what I had learned three years before, which, which is leading to a new book, which is called The Strategy-Driven Supply Chain. hope that was not too chaotic. No, no, no. Gosh, it's, I mean, there's so many things. I, I was, I'm holding myself back because you're going to find with me, um, I, I can go on for hours and I get so excited, especially talking to someone who's from the field because you don't get to chat that much in depth with people. But I wanted to, so I was holding back on about three different things. So, so let me start with the first. You mentioned IT, starting in IT, and I find, find that to be a fascinating grounding. It's almost like, it's almost like the, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, you went in and learned finance as the language of business. And it's almost like IT has become an even more foundational language to pretty much all things, right? So it's a really interesting place to start. But then you made the comment around how when you look at supply chain or supply chain operations, that it kind of comes back to IT. Now, that's obviously near and dear to my heart as someone who's in the middle of creating platforms and IT. And I've actually, I wanted to sort of double click on that because you know, in one sense, or at least from my point of view, there's a lack of advanced IT in the area of supply chain. IT has almost like, you know, they've got these, all these parallel tracks, right? Like if I look at automotive, of course, I look at Tesla and I've got self-healing, self-aware, self-driving cars. <laughs> but then when I look at the general supply chain, it feels like I'm kind of back circa 1970, you know, when I look at a lot of the technology. So talk to me a little bit about that kind of intersection of IT and supply chain, you know, how you kind of went and made the jump into supply chain because I would I, I would love your observations about what the technology looked like coming from an IT background in supply chain before we even get to the math and the theory around the triangle. You know, what what, what, what do you think about IT and supply chain? It's it's an area which is heavily underinvested. Um, yeah. I, I often say um, companies spend a, a huge amount of money on ERP systems and uh, migrating from one version of the ERP to a different version, the cost is easily tenfold the cost of a good supply chain system. And, and the, 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 the return is very vague because in the end, replacing an old ERP system with a new ERP system most probably it's doing quite similar things. So maybe there, there, there might be some efficiencies, but the, the real business impact is relatively limited. Mm-hmm. Bring it, bringing in decent supply chain systems that, that does, I do link that to the triangle. It touches the heart of the triangle. Supply chain systems have a, have a direct impact on service metrics, on cost metrics, on inventory metrics, or, or more broadly working capital utilization or of assets, so the, the 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 business case for uh, a planning system, an SNOP system, just to give an example, is much easier to make than than the the business case for a new ERP system. Mm-hmm. Still, we invest in ERP because we simply have to. It's like uh, mandatory. But when it comes to supply chain, we we'd rather invest in a new production line. I often say because then the CEO can stand in front of the new production line, right? And take a picture and that will be published in a magazine. (laughs) Investing in a decent uh, supply chain system, it's it's not tangible for many people. And and it's also simply because 
yeah, the, the, the importance of supply chain is still poorly understood at the executive team. And, and some of the stuff, the begin of, the beginning of my career was very technical, like my PhD on multi echelon inventory optimization, advanced algorithms. But I only found out that if, if we really want to create value, we'll need to rewire people's brain. And, and I often say to people like, if you want your executive team to understand supply chain, I say the best thing is not to talk about supply chain <laughs> because, because the moment you start talking about supply chain, they start sweating. They think it's going to be technical and it's going to be operational. So don't do that. So you need to talk business language and, and like the, the concept of the triangle in my experience, and that's really based on experience. I saw this was this was a way to connect to non-supply chain uh, business people uh, to explain them the need for stronger supply chain. So I talk a lot about the triangle. I, I talk about the strategy, and once they tied into those stories, then I tell them, "Hey, but if this is what you want to solve, or if this is what you want to realize." you'll need this type of supply chain and you'll need to invest in it. Yeah, And you'll mm -hmm. also need to invest in decent processes and in decent systems or you'll always be facing service issues, cost issues and inventories uh, of the wrong product. So maybe a long answer to a short question. No, what, no, 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 not at all. Because because you're teeing up, uh, whether you intended this or not, you're teeing up a certain direction uh, to this because I'm going to get to your triangle as a, as, a, as a secondary question here. So, with, and I couldn't agree with you more, ERP systems, for better or for worse, have always been conflated with supply chain, right? Because I, I believe ERP systems were never trying to solve supply chain issues in their very, I mean, if I, as a product person, when I think about what's the problem I'm trying to solve, ERP was not trying to solve supply chain optimization ever. Uh, it always, to me, felt like a, financial solution always, which it is, and, and an important one, um, but got, you know, forced to be used by supply chain, you know, and, and we see that in the the way in which, say, depreciation is calculated or front and center, you know, and I can go into a lot of reasons why I think depreciation is going to get kind of upended here in a new world order, um, but there's been a lack of supply chain solutions, right? Um and I would even contend when we get to, and this is my hook to your triangle with the three parts of your triangle, that that which you know spells out supply chain beautifully, that triangle doesn't fit into an ERP system. It needs something else. So the question I'm getting to is, you know, in your opinion, when you look at ERP systems and their you know pros and cons and what they were used for, and then you kind of formed up your triangle. What is the solution? You know, what what's missing in a solution for supply chain that addresses the triangle's needs, right? Or ultimately that you know return on capital, right? Kind of thing in the center of it. You know, how does that kind of you know what's 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 the missing piece in IT? What what you know what's that kind of element? What's the core? You know, for ERP systems, it's about cash, finance, you know, invoicing and POs, sort of cash in, cash out. But if I'm focusing on return on capital, so there's actually two parts to the question. Um, what does the system look like of the future and what does it need to be sort of centered on to really kind of get the best out of it and optimize the triangle, right? So the first part is ERP systems. You know, what, what were they designed for? Your opinion on them? You know, how do they not fit into supply chain? And then taking your triangle, let's talk about that. And then what does a system look like that can address the triangle's objectives? 
Yeah, well, um, it, it triggers with me the following. Um, somebody told me, he said, Bram, if I look at the triangle, he says, actually, there's two views when you look at supply chain. As a first view is the, is the process-oriented view. Think about the score model. It's like plant, source, make, deliver, right? So these are processes. And he said, a second way to look at supply chain is from a balanced perspective and say, hey, uh, I don't know, I want to shorten the lead times. I want to increase the on-time in full. Hey, that's fine. But what will be the cost impact? What will be the inventory investment, right? And what, what will be the return? Will I actually get more sales or will I get to a better price? So the triangle is more about balancing. It's like, yeah, we would, we, we, if we don't manage it, the objectives could become conflicting, right? And ERP systems are clearly more in the process uh, type of view. So, and, and the second thing is that ERP systems are very transactional. So they look at today and tomorrow, but they don't, they don't look at the next three to 12 months. They weren't built uh, for that. So what, what, what supply chain systems um, at least the systems I'm actively working with is like more SNOP planning systems. Uh, first of all, they, they need to be um, f- further outlooking and not just look at, at uh, today and tomorrow, but really have a longer term view. And they need to be able to balance. And the, the least thing you want to do is to be able to run scenarios and say, okay, hey, what would happen if I expand my portfolio with that amount of products, right? What what could be the impact on my cost position? What could be the impact on my inventory position? What could be the impact on the top line and the margin? So is, is it really worth the bank for the buck? So the least thing we want to be able to do is run scenarios. And, and the system of the future should add optimization capabilities to that and say, instead of me as a planner or as an executive trying to devise the scenarios in my head, yeah, is there a way yeah, for the system to make suggestions and say, hey, most probably in that part of the business, you're not doing the right thing, right? You should be more focusing on those type of products uh, and, 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 and cut some of the demand on those type of products or trying to do some substitution or what have you. So making systems a bit more intelligent and, and a bit more autonomous, I think that's where supply chain systems of the future are heading to. Mm-hmm. Great answer, and that leads me right into and, and 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 certainly the foundation of the building we call them blocks, but in your world, building triangle pieces, right? Um, can we just talk a little bit about? I'm sure you go on and on about it, but it's you know it's in your symbol, it's in your uh, um, uh, um, uh, business. Uh, you've got the triangle kind of in there, so you've got like 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 the the the, the, the essence of it. Let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, you've come up with a really innovative but simple way of looking at service, cost, and cash, All right? Can we talk a little bit about how you came up with that? What was the inspiration behind it? I mean, I think it's brilliant in its simplicity. And at the heart of that triangle is obviously the return on capital, right? Um, which is the essence of all business, right? I mean, that 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 measurement speaks. And I think I'm going to lead into something because I have an idea about what even goes into the center of the center. Um, but how did you come up with that? Like, I mean, where, where did that inspiration come from? Because that's not, uh, you know, making things simple and digestible is a very hard thing to do. And just like you said with the executives and supply chain, when they tend to tune out because they, they get scared, I think you've really broken it down into its basic elements. Um, yep. You know, so where did it come from? Uh, it really comes out of, uh, let's say, practical experience. I, I, I so, so 
in, in the begin of, uh, beginning of my consulting career, I did a lot of inventory optimization projects. Yeah? So in the triangle, I come from the inventory corner, from the cash corner. Yeah? Right. And um, I, yeah, it, it was a way for me to summarize how I saw companies struggled uh, with, with uh, inventory. And sometimes companies really did s- strange stuff. Yeah, so I, I saw companies defining inventory reduction targets and inventories had to be reduced with 20 or 30%. Then in the beginning of the year, they were launching many projects to reduce the inventory. They didn't have appropriate staffing. So in April, out of the 10 project, projects, maybe three started up. Then around summer, they realized that out of the three projects that started up, none was really getting significant benefits. So around September, the supply chain manager would resort to the handbrake, which was just lowering the safety stock in the systems. Well, if you lower the safety stock, the inventory will go down, but you get service issues all over the place. And if you get service issues, you get operational firefighting costs. So... Uh, I've 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 seen companies struggling in so many ways, <laughs> basically with with getting a grip on inventories. That has always been the key part. And um, yeah, in, in some of my career, I was almost over-engineering the inventory part. Like I said, hey, you want you want to do multi-echelon inventory and. You can lower your safety stock in the central DC, and you only need to increase a little bit in the regional DC. And I did engineering on something which was fundamentally unstable and poorly understood. And and yeah. at some point in time, I said, I'm going to stop this. I need to find a way to to better explain to people that supply chain cannot solve this alone, right? Mm-hmm. Quite, mm-hmm. quite often, supply chain has the target to, re, to reduce inventories, but... Um, yeah, sales is inflating the forecast uh, because they don't want to admit that they are not going to make the budget. Um, product managers are increasing new products like crazy, but they are not cleaning up old stuff. Mm-hmm. Purchasing is making agreements with suppliers uh, where to reduce the cost, they are making volume commitments which nobody ever agreed to, right? So if business slows mm-hmm. down, you get... So every function has has an impact on uh, inventory and still in a lot of companies, supply chain is almost solely responsible for that. And the other departments also do not... not, not necess- it's really like supply chain's problem and the rest doesn't really care. And mm-hmm. I, I saw I saw the way to, to explain that and then that's where the triangle says, hey, but if you do something over there or you do something over here or you dear production, if there's no demand and you want to keep producing to support the cost, hey, this is going to create inventory. So it was really a way to connect people that if we consider inventory important, which it is, why? Because inventory is cash and it's typically finance who wants to... uh, create a positive free cash flow and they want to generate cash. Inventory is poorly understood by finance. I often say finance thinks inventory is elastic. 
Right. If you just if you just push on it, it will go down. <laughs> but what they right. don't realize is that if you if you push on it in the triangle, you hit the service piece or you hit the cost piece, right? So, okay, it's fair that free cash flow is important and that inventory as a part of cash needs to be managed, but it needs to be managed in relation to service objectives and relation to cost objectives. And the, the first thing. I used the triangle for was really uh, yeah, bringing different people together, finance, salespeople, operations people, supply chain people, and say, we, we will need to make the trade-off together. And, mm -hmm. and, what's, and what's the overarching criterion? Well, service level is not a goal in itself, right? If I improve service level, typically I do it because I want to grow the sales. If I improve my service level and I don't grow the sales, then maybe I don't need to improve it. I can better reduce the cost. So if service is driving the top line, I'm not just inter interested in the top line. I also want to see a margin. Yeah, but the service or the top line and the cost give the bottom line. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know, gross margin or, or mm -hmm. uh, EBIT or EBDA mm -hmm. or op operating uh, income. That's the margin metric. Yeah, that's the top line and the cost. And and it's in the end really about, yeah, but what's the margin you generate over the capital employed? What's the margin you generate over the invested inventory and also the fixed assets, the, the investments you did like in production capacity and mm -hmm. so on? Mm -hmm. So so uh, you're teeing up. So, so again, in summary, <clears throat> when you've got service, cost, and cash as the three parts of the triangle, right? Which again, I think is just brilliant. And service at the top there can be sales, service, whatever you want to call that. But you know, that's kind of your top line revenue. But inherent in everything you've been describing too, there's there there seems to be sort of the lowest common denominator moving through the supply chain, and people tend to keep their eyes focused on cash, which is not inappropriate. But I might say a step further that cash is being used to do something by supply chain. And it's, it's, it's actually used to purchase the things that either are used or turned into products. So my question to you is, you know, inventories and assets always seem to be the, the foundational component to supply chain, right? So if I strip away other organizations, right, I can find, you know, sales is obviously out there getting customers and relationships there, finance is focused. Finance to me is always focused on cash management, right? I talk to any experienced CFO or treasurer, cash, right, cash flow, cash flow management, that is the essence of what they do. But in supply chain, there's not as easy of a thing, but I, I think there is actually. To me, it feels like it's assets are the key element to what a supply chain does. And the return on capital invested in the business can get down to its lowest part. The return on capital invested in the asset itself seems to be the lowest common denominator. Is that, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and it's really about the return because that's that's also part right. of the first book and continued on that in the second book that the the it also links into strategy in the sense that um, if if I'm a low cost airline like Southwest or Ryanair mm -hmm. here, here in Europe, right? Typically, these guys work with minimal margins. Why? Yeah, because they want to have the lowest price in the market, right? So they go sure. deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So you can work with minimal margins, but they are typically also champions in efficiency. Like mm -hmm. if if I if I take the Ryanair example here in Europe, they have only one type of airplane. 
They fly on regional airports, smaller airports. They try to minimize the turnaround time. Time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. An, an airplane is only bringing money when it's in the air, not when it's on, on the on the ground. Eh? So they have a minimum margin, but they compensate with minimum capital employed. If your strategy is different, if you say, hey, I want to be a full service player, you want to get anywhere in Europe or I want to get anywhere in the US, we will take you there. Yeah, you will have different types of airplanes, right? Mm -hmm. You will have the big jets to cross the ocean. Then you will have smaller jets for regional flights. Uh, And you will have a different model like with with hubs and spokes. But but in general, yeah, you you will require more assets, which from a a return on capital employed perspective, you say, hey, that's fine, as as long as the margin is high, right? So Mm -hmm. the the strategy actually defines what is the ratio between margin and capital employed. Take private labor players. If 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 I'm in FMCG and, and I'm private label, margins will be minimal. While why I need to deliver to Walmart eh, with with the Walmart mm-hmm. private label logo, I will be under a huge cost pressure. The only way to still earn a decent bank for the buck is when I do it with minimum capital employed. So mm-hmm. no inventories, only make to order, big production runs, maximum efficiency. If I'm a brander, I'm driven by innovation. If all of a sudden there's a big success, I need to be able to scale fast. So typically, branded players need more flexibility. So they will need, I don't know, to invest in more capacity, more flex capacity, which is a higher capital employed. And that's not a problem because typically the margins of a brander can be significantly higher. So as supply chain, it's important to know, yeah, but what type of supply chain do you want to be? Do you want to be, yeah, a, a low cost, high efficiency supply chain, or do I need to be more more responsive? And and as an investor, I say, I, I mean, as long as the bang for the buck is the same, I don't really mm-hmm. care if if you need a bit more inventory and a bit more assets. As long as you compensate with a higher margin, that's fine, right? On the other hand, if your if your margins are lower, like in the commodity market. If the margins are low, that's fine, as long as you are more efficient in utilizing the assets. So for supply chain, it's really about the balance between the two, the margin you generate and the capital employed needed to run uh, the business. Um, and and, and uh, I agree that you say other, other functions uh, have the luxury that their targets are more simple. Typically, sales, it's about the top line or the market share. F- finance is overly, fork- overly focused on short-term metrics like uh, the free cash flow. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the supply chain is, is really in the more difficult situation that it really has to manage those potentially conflicting objectives. But that's also what makes supply chain interesting. And that's also what makes supply chain so strategic. That's uh, right, right. Well, and and, and 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 so within that, and even in your airline, uh, as you were going through that example, which is a great example, I, I start to think in in terms of lowest common denominator units, and there it's the passenger seat mile, right? Mm-hmm. So if I looked at that passenger seat mile, I can actually look at the passenger seat margins, right? And within that passenger seat margin. Is should be right. Um, you know, some kind of time value of money calculation based on the capital required to produce that seat, maintain that seat, and then obviously sell right, yeah. sell that seat right. 
And, and if you look at the same KPI, if you would compare a low-cost airline with a premium quality airline like, say, Etihad or Qatar, one of those mm-hmm. Middle East airlines, the margin per seat will be way bigger with Qatar, Etihad. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but, but also the investment, uh, or, or I'm not sure how you say that, the investment uh, per seat and, and, and the cost required to keep that seat uh, in the air will be much bigger. But, and that also means that there is no one-size-fits-all supply chain, right? Hey, the, if, if you want to run Southwest, don't move somebody from Southwest to Etihad. Eh? Even if it's, if, it, if it's the same KPIs, the ratio will be completely different or the objectives right. will be completely different. Well, they, think, they start to think differently, too. You get sort of into a habit of what you're trying to achieve, right? What, what, what are you being rated on, right? And, and you know, I would, I, would, I would begin as we're sort of talking this through, start to think of the low cost in more volume terms, right? Whereas the higher margin is less volume, but greater margin, more service, right? I mean, at that top part of the triangle, right? I mean, there's more capital employed, but and I'm getting greater margins. I've got lower volume because I'm spending more time on that high-end good, right? But, you know, again, there's there's a, to me, it feels like underneath your triangle, you've got a great, great view of the whole business but then when I drill into the individual units themselves, right, there's, some, there's something within the supply chain, an asset or a seat mile or something that's kind of moving through the supply chain that you can begin to break it down to its individual parts. And I can start to analyze what are my, you know, unit economics in the supply chain is sort of where I'm headed with this, right? You know, because we're, I think you've done an amazing job and you set the stage to look at a top-down view strategy, right, with the triangle. But then, at some point, we're getting to an evolution. I'm kind of looking forward a little bit where, all right, what are my unit economics in measuring my supply chain, right? Like, how do I break this down to the units and what are those units, right? Um, I think you've got the pieces of the strategy in the triangle, but there's a part, that, and this is where my brain works, right? I start going into the actual individual units themselves and can I begin to, because then if I, can, if I can look at that data, can I analyze how are my unit economics in, say, different regions? My unit economics in Europe versus North America versus Asia. And what's impacting that? Why is that different? Well, if I analyze my supply chain, I've got logistics costs and you know warehousing and inventory set up differently, or whatever the case may be. But there's 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 a part of it. I just I'm curious, have you thought about the units themselves and how they apply to your model, right? Because you've got this sort of top-down strategic view, but then you keep drilling into it. There's a, there's always some, there's always a unit, there's always a common unit that's moving through. Yeah, well, one of the, just an example metric which uh, combines uh, dimensions is like the margin over inventory, Mm -hmm. where when you look about, when you look at product portfolio management or complexity management, um, the the tricky thing about supply chain is that people associate supply chain with costs. Right. And when and when we talk about cost, we have the tendency to push things down. So the, there is like a thinking that the that a good supply chain is the most cost efficient, but that's that's not been my conclusion. And a, a related example is like complexity, because if I want to get to the lowest cost, I need to cut complexity, right? I don't want to have complex portfolios because typically the long tail is killing the efficiency, but a complex portfolio can be perfectly fine 
here again, it's it's really about what's the margin you generate over the inventory invested. And I, I let's let's put it like this: if I expand my portfolio with twenty or thirty percent, yeah, but my customer is willing to pay a significant premium from a value for inventory investment perspective that can be perfectly fine and it also again depends on the strategy who do who do i want to be if i want to be a total solution player and say hey um i'm i'm delivering any type of spare parts for any type of car you might want to have and that makes me one total solution provider for the uh, aftermarket uh, of of cars that can be a strong proposition and of course there's a huge complexity associated with that but if 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 it drives the right margin and the right premium that's perfectly fine so we need to be careful here because if you would let the average supply chain person go loose or if you would let the average finance person go loose we would start reducing the cost and the cost and the cost and the cost, and we would be cutting. Hey, this is not uh, moving. This is not moving. So we, we would start cutting the tail. But it's really about yeah. But what's the what is the supply chain that really fits the need? And the need is yeah. What is the objective I'm trying to reach in the market? How do I want to differentiate? And that's certainly. We're also in the second book when it comes about the strategy-driven supply chain. That's where we, that's where we are, that's where we are actually making the link between yeah, what's 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 the proposition I want to put in the market, and what's the corresponding supply chain. And if you have more complexity, and that could be a more complex portfolio, it could also be more complex products. If you say. I want to be a high-end niche player, yeah. But if you want to be a high-end niche player, most probably your products will be more complex. Mm-hmm. It means more components going into the product. It most probably means those components also come from niche suppliers, yeah, who who can deliver the high specifications. Well, as long as your business strategy has more complexity, your supply chain will become more costly. Yeah, and the investment in inventories or in assets will be higher. And that's no problem as long as the strategy is successful and you are able to drive the right premium, the right gross profit, the right gross margins uh, in, in your market. So when I really break it down to pieces, it makes me think of um, I've done a lot of work here with a big retailer in Belgium and they have different business units. Yeah? And one one business unit is really focused on lowest price. And the second business unit is really more focused on intimacy. So like uh, regional products, uh, regional assortments, the the, the assortments are also much bigger, also higher quality products. Mm -hmm. So they are not not going for lowest cost. And they were going to look at, I don't know, like picking costs and uh, the, 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 the cost per unit. And I say, hey, I know, I know what is going to be the result. This one is focused on lowest cost, so I hope he has a lower cost, right? Also, the assortment is a bit is is way smaller here. If you look at the shops, their shops are really high volume shops, right? They don't have shops at any neighborhood. They don't have corner stores. These are big shops which are focused on volume. So everything in this business unit has been focused on high volume, lowest cost. The other one, yeah, also has smaller shops, corner shops. 
uh, has a much more complex assortment, which regional assortments, which are not necessarily in all of the shops, um, higher quality products, yeah, which means uh, more difficult storage constraints, transportation constraints. So if you look at the costs, logistics cost per unit, yeah, you, you can define logistics costs per unit as a KPI, mm-hmm. but, but don't blindly benchmark in the absence of what is the strategy? What are we trying to achieve? Because if there's a difference in cost, that's most probably where it's to be found. You can only compare one-on-one when really the objective or the strategy in the market is the same. Absolutely. Well, that's a, and again, <clears throat> you do a great job of kind of segueing in here because you move right into then the strategy, right? And this is the new book that's coming out. It's, it sounds like you, in a way, just a couple of years ago with your first book, laid the foundation <clears throat> for sort of the technical view of supply chain. And now two, three years later, three years later, now we're getting into the strategy. And that's, I mean, I hear this a lot in what even the discussion today, you know, how, how fundamental it is. If you don't have a good supply chain strategy, then I'm not sure how the business strategy is going to work. I mean, it's almost like they're synonymous to some extent. Of course, you're not talking sales and marketing and finance and other parts of the business. But again, if the foundation supply chain strategy is not teed up in the right way, I don't even know how the business succeeds. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the next book and strategy and how you see this not only in your book, but then playing out in enterprises as they're evolving right now. You know, supply chain is much more top of mind. There's a new awareness to supply chain. And how does supply chain strategy start to get interwoven into the actual overall business strategic discussions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that, um, first of all, over the last three years, my experience is that most companies are very poor when it is about business strategy. Mm-hmm. So uh, after reading a lot of books and also consulting a lot of companies, and I, I say if you look at the literature, literature strategy is about making choices. It's like, okay, who do you want to be and what is the implication? It also defines who I'm not going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and successful companies have made very clear and deliberate choices. Yeah? If, if you take low-cost airlines, hey, they, they've beaten the market by providing lower and lower and lower prices, right? If you don't watch out, the price of the taxi you need to take is bigger than the cost of the plane. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, other companies are heavily driven by innovation. Think about companies like Apple. I I started working in 98. Apple was virtually bankrupt. Mm -hmm. They they brought Steve Jobs back in 20 years later. Uh, Yeah, it's one of the companies with the biggest market capitalization, right? How did they do that? A continuous stream of innovations. It's it's not about inventing a new product. No, it's a continuous stream of innovations. The type of supply chain you need to support that is fundamentally uh, different. Um, so coming back, I've, I found that companies are bad at making choices. I'll give examples. Um, I see companies that try to combine private label and branded products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a pri- private label is all about efficiency and lowest cost. And branded is about innovation. Uh, it's like, I don't know, it's combining the culture of Apple and Southwest mm-hmm. or combining the culture of Apple and Walmart. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that's most probably not going to, to work out. What else do I see? Uh, we say, okay, we, we are a commodity player. And once we are a commodity player, we start complaining that our margins are low. So then we want to get into a more 
upscale market and we want to improve our margins, but hey, that, that's that's not the game for which you were trained, right? So we, we start confusing the market who we want to be. We start confusing the internal organization who we want to be. Um, so there's... In, in general, people are not very good at business strategy. That's, that's one. And two, in general, supply chain strategies are disconnected from the business strategy. It's like an afterthought. The typical thinking is like, uh, I first designed a business strategy, and then afterwards I will translate it into a supply chain strategy. I say, hey, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you do it like that, I will tell you what happened. Most probably you have a supply chain which is designed for cost. If you design your supply chain for cost, I go to a supplier and I say, ah, you would need to lower your price with 5%. That supplier will tell me, uh, what, what, what can you guarantee as a volume? So he's requesting more volume. And also he will, he will squeeze out flexibility. If you put the pressure on me for cost, I would say, yeah, but next month, volume is fixed, month plus two plus or minus 5%, month plus three plus or minus 10%. But that type of supply chain is a complete mismatch with something like Apple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I launch a new product, it is the iWatch, the original iWatch. I launch a new product. I make a forecast, I don't know, one billion. I've I've no clue. Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, right. it, it could be 10 million, <laughs> could be 10 billion, right? So if you are driven by innovation, you primarily need flexible supply chains and flexible uh, apple has done that by by outsourcing it to foxconn don't compare yourself to apple eh? most companies that need to create that scalability themselves there's only one mm-hmm. apple eh? there's not mm-hmm. there's not 10 apples so if you need to create that scalability internally you will need to provide access capacity you might need to foresee strategic stocks of components to be able to react so that's again creating extra investments in fixed assets extra capital employed a more costly supply chain. And so we should stop saying that ah, I first define the business strategy and I then define the supply chain strategy. No, it's re- the, it's like two sides of the same coin because as long as I don't know the supply chain, I don't know the cost mm-hmm. and I don't know the investment. And then I say, hey, so you tell me you have a strategy but you cannot tell me what is the associated cost and what's the associated investment. And right. then, you, then simply you don't have a strategy. So we should stop saying that. We should even start, stop talking about a supply chain strategy. There is no supply chain strategy. There's only a business strategy. And in the business strategy, you, you kind of have like, what's the value proposition? What do you want to be to which type of customers? And then you have the supply chain. And the supply chain defines how you are going to realize this, at which cost level and at which investment level. And only when the two come together, you can tell me how you are going to drive value and generate value, Mm -hmm. that return on capital employed. And as long as you don't tell me how you are going to drive value, the Apple model, which could be more asset-intensive, or the, the Southwest model, which could be less acid intensive, but with lower margins. As long as you don't tell me the Rossi model, yeah, then you don't have a business strategy. So actually, again, instead of talking about supply chain strategy, I talk about business strategy and, and mm-hmm. the value proposition and the corresponding supply chain are the two sides of, of the same coin. And only when you bring the two together, you can define how you will uh, drive value. It also means that you should not accept 
a business strategy which has been defined by sales because sales doesn't understand supply chain. Right. <laughs> a business strategy is only valid as of now when supply chain has been at the table <laughs> and has been able to challenge, like, did we make enough choices? Is the value proposition and the market differentiation clear and sharp enough? Because mm -hmm. if, if on Monday you want to focus on service, on Tuesday you want to focus on price, And on Wednesday, you want to focus on innovation. I cannot design that supply chain. So you'll need to make a choice. Right. So supply chain needs to be at the table to make sure that we make a choice. Once we've made a choice, could be lowest price or could be speed of innovation. Yeah, but once we've made a choice in the business strategy, I can design the corresponding supply chain. And that's what needs to be done before we can say we have a business strategy. So no business strategy without supply chain on the table to define the supply chain which corresponds, let's say, with the chosen value proposition. That's one of the key themes in the new book. Well, and, and I mean, you couldn't have written a better time for it, you know, with all the things going on in the world, right? You know, with, with COVID, with, um, you know, the Suez Canal recently. I mean, everyone's seeing how interconnected the supply chain is, how everybody on the planet whether they know it or not, is a part of the supply chain. Every individual is a part of the aggregate human supply chain, right? So we, we And people are waking up to this. So I think fusing supply chain strategy or making it synonymous with business strategy, they're inexorably tied. They, 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 they have to be you know, in sync with each other. And I'm even looking at... <laughs> I'm going to have to invite you back for another one because I could go on for hours with this. I have two questions, and I'm trying to figure out if I can get both of them in. Um, um, one has to do with the specifics around your your thinking as far as time value of money, right? So, so the, the the question I'd like to get into it's a little bit a little bit in the geek side of this, which is when I look at the you know capital employed, right, and I look at the return on that capital. One of the other things I start to think about is what's the time it take to get to the return, right? And is that calculation? Because that also is going to tell me something about the choices that I make, right? So, mm -hmm. again, with all things held equal, and I can show the same return on, ca on capital, but one takes me six months to get the money back. The other one takes me six years to get the money back. What's, what, what, are, what are the impacts of me going the six-month timeline versus the six-year timeline, right? So, where does time come into your, you know, that's question one. And, and another bigger question is where sustainability fits into this, because I want to try to fit in both uh, before we run into it. So, let me start with the time one, because that's sort of a little geeky one. How do, how do you view time and time value of money as a part of the calculations? Because I, I, I skimmed the first book. I, I have to be honest, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to go in-depth into it. And then I sort of skimmed what's coming up in your new strategy. I didn't see time necessarily interwoven in there yet. No, I agree. Well, it, on the one hand, it's on the cash side. So one of the metrics yep. we explain is the cash conversion cycle. Right. And um, so, yeah, if, if you look at food retailers, they have a cash conversion cycle, which is zero or even negative, which means, okay, mm -hmm. if, if I buy goods from my supplier, suppliers, and I store the inventory for 15 or 20 days, consumers typically pay immediately, at least in Europe, there's no credit mm -hmm. cards. It's just right. immediate payment, cash payment. So basically I receive my money after 20 days of buying the products, but, but my payment terms to the supplier could be 45 days. So right. I buy something, 20 days later I sell it, I get immediately paid, but I only need to pay after 45 days. So it means 
I actually already get money from the consumer before I need to pay the supplier. Yeah? And um, so the, 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 that timing aspect of yeah, how is money cycling might be in that cash con- conversion uh, mm-hmm. cycling. And um, another aspect, but that's really a, a techie finance aspect. Like, Rosie doesn't account for yeah, what's what's the what's the cost of the uh, money, and, and there mm-hmm. is the concept of the the WAC, the weighted average cost of capital. Mm-hmm. And if if you are a blue chip company with a triple A rating, yeah, the cost of your capital may might be way lower compared to a, a relatively new startup company. So, also. 20% rosy might be very good for a blue chip, but yeah, for, for some of the more high-risk companies, the target rosy might need to be higher to compensate also for the cost of capital. That's that's the second aspect I, I was yep. thinking of. Yep. That's great. Well, let me, let me, okay. So I, I and, and I'm going to apologize here because we try to keep things down to an hour. I'm looking at the clock. We've got a few minutes left. So I'm going to ask sort of a, a, a Question, because I do want to get it in on circularity, but also just, you know, your future, like what's coming up here. So it's two parts, kind of wind things down a little bit. And then, you know, the, just amazing conversation. I know we could have kept going. Um, but where do you see sustainability playing in this whole thing, right? Um, that's a big topic. You know, it is something that I believe can actually be interwoven into everything we've spoken about, but is also just not necessarily as well um well, doc. Well, it's not as well connected, I should say. Right, sustainability seems to be a little bit out here. It, it feels good, but how do I connect it into, you know, exactly what you're talking about in supply chain optimization and even the triangle itself? Yeah. Today, sustainability in a lot of companies is is potentially still in conflict with the triangle. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what I see is that there's a pressure to there's a pressure from sustainability. So we want to reduce CO2 footprint. How do we want to do that? By slower transportation mode. So instead of flying stuff across the ocean, let's put it on a boat. It's good for the cost. So it reduces the CO2. It's good for the cost. But the problem is the inventory goes up because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, instead of a one-week lead time, I get a three- or a four-week lead time. So inventories, inventories go up. So, And as long as it's conflicting with some of the financial metrics, I don't see a lot of companies who still do it. Like if mm-hmm. if improving the sustainability to 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 the expense of extra cost of extra inventory, that's still rare. But it's it's getting to a level that it's it. I mean, for me, it's increasingly clear how it needs to be incorporated. If you look at the service side of the triangle, it's like you could say, I want to play on product quality or I want to play on price. Sustainability will also just be a a metric there. And you will need to be at least at par, right? If if you're not at a certain sustainability level, consumers or customers will not buy from you. And it will also become a dimension on which you can differentiate or dominate. And some 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 consumers say, I buy from that company because I know that from a circularity perspective or a sustainability perspective, they do significantly more than anybody else. And I'm willing to pay a premium right. yeah, to buy from that company. As today, I may be buying from a company because the product is better. In the future, mm-hmm. I will buy from that company because the sustainability is better. And that will relieve the conflict because, hey, if I can attract consumers by differentiating or dominating on sustainability, it's okay that the cost is a bit higher, 
or that the inventory is a bit higher, as long as the consumer is willing to, to pay the associated premium, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why where I expect sustainability will be going, it will basically become a value driver and it will be a way to differentiate or dominate specific markets. And uh, the, the more awareness there is with consumers and with customers, the, the, it will at least become a qualifier. So if you don't have certain sustainability standards, you will just be out of business. And, and, and as that creeps in, some companies will also start differentiating on it or even might try to dominate certain markets yeah, by, by having proven capabilities on circularity. And consumers will be willing to pay a premium, just like today they are willing to pay a premium yeah, for, for a better quality product. That's, and that will resolve the conflict and just tie it into regular market dynamics mm-hmm. and how also, yeah, if I want to have a more innovative supply chain, yeah, some companies will want to dominate on sustainable supply chains. Okay, mm-hmm. again, I just need to know how I want to differentiate in the market. Where do I want to differentiate? Where do I want to play at par? And that's what I will need to translate in the corresponding supply chain and not afterwards eh? as an iterative process, because as long as I don't know the cost and the capital employed, I'm not sure I can generate value. If I'm not sure I can generate value, there is no business strategy. So there is no business strategy without a strong supply chain. Totally agreed. With that, I'm going to you know thank you because we're running into time. Um, and 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 I, I will absolutely invite you back at some point if we don't run into each other in some sort of panel as thing opens up here because because I really this is just an amazing conversation. Your insights are clear, they're concise, and you've just got a natural you know language about this that makes it very approachable and not very scary and and that's just awesome. So I'm mean, really excited to see the new book come out. You know, congratulations with everything. Your your timing is also amazing cuz all things supply chain you're right in the middle of a great time to be in supply chain. So it's just been awesome to have you here. I really want to thank you for everything um you know for 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 participating as well. Yeah, my pleasure Richard and uh, hope indeed to to be again in one of your next sessions. And oh, you will for sure. There's no question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.requis.com.